It's the Grim Tidings Podcast. I'm Rob Matheny. And I'm Philip Overby. And Philip, we're back with a new episode, and today we're not just interviewing one author, we are interviewing two authors. That's right, we've become more efficient here on the Grim Tidings Podcast. After all, we are 75 episodes into this damn thing, so why not just, you know, kind of soup things up a little bit? So, uh, today's guests have been a couple of authors that we've actually wanted to have on the show for quite some time since the show started last year, so I'm happy to do this kind of author mashup Thunderdome thing that we have going on today. So, our first guest is the author of the Valducan Urban Fantasy series, including Dameron, Hanassier, and I as well as the Tale of the Black Raven series, including Mountain of Daggers and Sea of Quills, hailing from East Texas, author, tabletop gamer, and cheesy movie enthusiast, the Grim Tidings podcast proudly welcomes Seth Skorkowski to the show. Seth, thanks for hanging out. Well, thank you for having me. Last and certainly not least, we have the author of the Gnome Saga series, including Rough Magic, Tinker Mage, and Cogweaver. His short fiction has appeared in Blaggard's Neverland's Library, Manifesto UF, and he's also co-author of the Dead West series, including Those Poor, Poor Bastards and the 10,000 Things. His newest series, Galefire, is a dark urban fantasy trilogy slated to drop this month. Currently residing in Independence, Kentucky, author, vlogger, and bourbon enthusiast, the Grim Tidings podcast welcomes Kenny Sword to the show. Kenny? Yes. Awesome to have you you both on the show. The Thunderdome has begun. Two authors enter. You both will leave at the end of the conversation. But uh, it's been awesome to uh, connect with you two over social media over the past, like, 16 years. So to finally get you both on the show and to just talk about your books and writing and authory stuff is going to be a fun conversation. So thank you both for hanging out today. So I I guess the first thing that we can do is uh, decide who we're going to talk crap about. Uh, First, it would either be Rob Hayes, Joe Martin, or Tim Markwitz. Which person should we kind of start the roast going? <laughs> There's so many. Like, what do we <laughs> start with, Joe? Start with <laughs> your publisher, Joe Martin at Ragnarok. Uh, just go for Let's... the throat. <laughs> go hard. Let me tell you about Joe. We go back way. <laughs> He's a good guy. He's a good guy. <laughs> He's a good guy. He's got a propensity for uh, publishing pretty awesome authors, including both. You and Seth with your um, fantasy, urban fantasy, fantasy trilogies. Um, I guess we can start off talking about your collective bodies of works uh, to start off with. Um, I guess we can begin with you, Seth, and let's just talk for a moment about that Valdicon urban fantasy series and maybe give us uh, an elevator pitch for it and what it's about. Okay, uh, uh, the Valdicon series, it's it's urban fantasy, but it's more of a, a kind of a thriller horror series. Uh, versus urban fantasy. A lot of people think of that as like kind of snarky wizards and first-person detective stories. But uh, it is a, the concept is is that you know monsters from folklore are real, uh, but instead of being a virus or any of that, it's their demons. And when a demon possesses you, you transform into this creature. And if so, if a werewolf bit fifteen people, there's not fifteen werewolves. There's just one. It could just jump between the different ones, and the only way to actually kill the demonic spirit is with a holy weapon. So, it's about a group of demon hunters that each have a unique holy weapon that is kind of a sentient thing, and they go around the world and kicking ass. And then the series is three kind of standalone novels. They're not necessarily a series. Yeah, the, uh, they follow up on each other. So what happens in the sec- what happens in the first book has little echoes that happen on the rest, but they're essentially standalones. And it's currently three books in the series. Are you planning on fourth or fifth, or what do you have plans for this uh, series so far? Uh, current plan is I'm uh, most of the way done with the fourth book, uh, Redemptor. And I also have a bunch of uh, short stories. Some of them are out. Some of them I still have planned that take place over the years before the first book, kind of archive adventures. So there will be kind of new faces or different sort of little fun things that they did before. Awesome. And then, um, Kenny, let's talk about, well, you've got the um, Galefire series forthcoming, but you're currently known in the Matheny household for your Gnome Saga series featuring Rough Magic, Tinker Mage, and Cogweaver. Um, Pretty gnome heavy in this series, I think. Um, maybe give us, uh, yourself, maybe an elevator pitch and maybe tell us a little bit about the Gnome Saga series. Uh, the Gnome Saga series is a, uh, a brother and sister gnome duo who, uh, they, they kind of live in a, a little city called Hightower in my fantasy realm. And one of them is sort of an outcast. Uh, well, they're both sort of outcasts, but in different ways. And they're a little bit estranged, but through a series of events, they start to figure out some deeper things that are happening, um, some threats to the, the city. And one of them starts to sort of go from a wizard to like a sort of 
almost like a necromancer. Uh, he starts to tinker in the dark arts. The other one is uh, Nixabella is her name. I call her Nika. Um, she's a tinkerer and she kind of develops this device that uh, sort of a, a world beater device that <laughs> it sort of funnels energies from other worlds. And so you can take this device and put it in like, say, a mechanical, like a robot or, or, or an automaton, and it'll like power this thing forever. So th- this device is pretty important and someone has their sights on it you know, some dark presence, right? <laughs> and so that's the story is basically them trying to survive those those dangers and whatnot. And so you've got the trilogy out of the Gnome Saga. Are there any more titles uh, slated for that series specifically, or are we just going on with Galefire from this point? I'm going to stick heavily in the Galefire realm, but um, I do have some rough outlines and characters for two more full series in this Gnome Saga world. I just, just don't have the time to write them. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I definitely and, want to get back there because I, I love the, the technical aspects of Gnomes. What is Galefire about? Um, Galefire, it had a kind of a strange start. Um, but this, essentially, it's a group of outcasts from hell who they've had to sort of make their way and, and live on Earth. And they live on Earth as a nefarious gang. They call themselves the 8th Street Gang. And they, they're up to no good. You know, they're, they're kind of drug dealers and get into a lot of trouble they sort of struggle to live alongside humans and other supernatural entities um they quickly discover they're part of a a larger struggle and uh they have to team up with some pretty like uh, i guess they've called sworn enemies holy avengers and uh there's even a witch from the kentucky hills that kind of jumps in and uh helps them to achieve some victories and so by the end of the books it's pretty crazy it's definitely got like an epic feel to it i think and it's more of a urban fantasy vibe than your gnome saga series would you say that yeah absolutely yep so then both you and seth are both kind of hammering down the 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 darker urban fantasy vibe at this point yes bringing it home what other authors are kind of out there kind of doing similar things to what you two are doing i like uh, the daniel faust series by craig schaefer i've been like really into that one it's one of my favorites uh, of course, the Dresden Files, right? And I hadn't started reading those until recently, which is kind of sad because people have said your style is said my style is similar to Jim Butcher, but I didn't really put two and two together. And now that I'm reading it, I'm like, yeah, okay, this stuff is really cool. Um, and I like Seth stuff. I mean, I'm I'm a Vulcan fan. I, I've I, I do the audiobooks. So <laughs> for me, it's it's more of a Larry Korea mm-hmm. uh, is probably the closest as far as. Um, uh, urban fantasy, uh, but it was one of those like I didn't start reading uh, Monster Hunter International till after I had done a few Volican books, and people would mention it. It's like holy shit, somebody else was doing stuff like this. I don't even know. So, but it's uh, it's very similar in the vein of a lot of a lot of action versus uh, you know the other little tropes that you'll find in urban fantasy. It's mostly just a lot of kicking ass. Yeah, urban fantasy really isn't a topic that we've covered too extensively on the program before, so that's another reason why I'm excited to get you guys on it to maybe just chat about urban fantasy for a moment. So we mentioned a couple of the authors out there doing similar things would be like Larry Correa or uh, Jim Butcher, um, etc. What are some of the kind of common urban fantasy tropes that you're seeing right now in the the genre? One of the biggest ones is the Jim Butcher style, the uh, kind of first-person detective noir. And I think that started with the Anita Blake series, which I read the first few back in the the late 90s before they turned into just paranormal romance. And uh, that's kind of a a standard for a lot of the trope, is that you have very kind of a snarky sort of hero. Uh, I started what I consider urban fantasy. It was actually like Clive Barker, uh, because used to contemporary fantasy, they didn't know what to call it, so they just kind of lumped it in horror. And uh, Clive Barker and King have a ton of contemporary fantasy that people just always thought was horror. So that was kind of like what I started with. And later on, I discovered there was a, did like a different definition in people's mind. Yeah, I would I agree and add to that. I mean, it's definitely is. Uh, it's got the the mystery vibe. Yeah, the snarkiness is there. I, I read uh, recently read Caitlin Kiernan's uh, Siobhan Quinn series. It's kind of uh, it's a series that's kind of buried, but I, I love it. And uh, yeah, Siobhan Quinn, she's like uh, super snarky. You know, she just slings a, a rifle around like it's nothing and just takes out monsters. <laughs> but they tend to, I think that, I don't know if Seth would agree, but they tend, these kind of books tend to sort of wrap up really nicely. Like each book is like its own mystery solved, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it kind of has that, that pulpy feel where, you know, it's like, you know, this case is closed at the end. And, you know, they, they toast their scotch and, you know, then we have kind of an adventure of the week sort of feel between books. 
I want to ask about uh, you mentioned Pulpy. Uh, Fritz Lieber was a huge effect on you, on you initially, Seth. Uh, based on the imagery of the Lankmar City of Adventure campaign book, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I've mentioned on the show before. Uh, I saw a Dungeons and Dragons book when I was a kid, and I wanted to buy it, and my aunt wouldn't let me buy it because <laughs> it had a big demon on it or something. <laughs> but I want to ask both of you as far as cover art goes how has that resonated with you when it comes to picking out books that you want to read or something that really catches your attention like like it did with uh, Seth when he was younger um that's a good question um I kind of it, it just depends I mean I really like a sort of mystical look I've been drawn to some of the newer uh, urban fantasy covers like I really like uh, how Seth's look um, they kind of have those really crazy looking weapons and it's I don't know it has a smoothness to it but yet uh, a very vivid and clear line of of what the book's going to be about that it's going to be you know this weapon and it's probably going to be a, an urban fantasy type book it definitely covers have changed over the years um one of the things that attracts me is having a character on the front as well. So it's a little different than what Seth's doing, but I like just the, not necessarily has to be a perfect character or depiction of the character in the book, but something sort of mysterious going around them, symbols, you know, signs of magic, things like that. How about torsos? Do you enjoy, <laughs> enjoy a good torso cover? I like a good cropped shirt uh, <laughs> with a, I like to see some belly, uh, belly buttons. And those are big. <laughs> You've got some pretty impressive artwork for your uh, Gnome Saga series. Who was the artist on that one for you, Kenny? Uh, Armand Akopian was the artist for those. And he's a tough guy to get. Yeah, I love those covers. Um, They're amazing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm almost intimidated by like. <laughs> <laughs> Joe showed me the covers, and I, I said, damn, my book is not going to come even close to that. <laughs> Don't do this to me, man. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they're just beautiful. Um, and I, I hope to get him on some of the – if I do future Gnome Saga books, I hope to get him back, keep that feel, you know. And, Seth, your covers are pretty snappy, too. It, I guess it would be um, needless to say that Sean T. King has been doing some incredible work in the industry, at least for Ragnarok and for some other folks. But uh, he contributed to that cover that you have as well. Yeah, uh, uh, we did a cover change not that long ago. So Joe Martin did uh, original covers for uh, Darren Hanassier, and then Sean King stepped in and like knocked it aside and re-skinned <laughs> the first two books when he did Ibenus. And then uh, I had Alex Raspad, Raspad, I I hope I do not totally butcher his name, uh, do uh, my Black Raven books. And then Sean came in and did all the nice making it a pretty cover work. Yeah, all you guys have pretty snappy covers. So I I, I presume you both would say that it's pretty important to have a a cover, at least that uh, would serve the overall quality of the quality of your fiction. Right, Kenny? Live up to the... Yeah, um, nothing has changed there. I, I actually um, was listening to an, a different podcast a, a couple days ago, um, a self-publishing podcast, and they were talking about covers. And um, it's even maybe more important to have a good cover these days. There's so much competition out there. The, you know, there are two groups of people. There are some people who read so much that maybe they don't care as much about a cover. They just kind of maybe they're hooked into the author, right? So if the cover is not that great, they don't care. But I think for most people, especially if you're trying to discover the, a new author, you know, the cover is going to be what draws you in. It's your first piece of marketing. And no matter how good your book is, if, if someone just sees your cover and goes, man, that's just, <laughs> you know, they couldn't spend a couple hundred dollars for a cover, right? You know, <laughs> they're just going to not think your book's very good. Uh, absolutely. I prefer kind of evocative covers that kind of lend to the what is this book about? So I like characters on them. But you had mentioned Daniel Faust earlier, Kenny, and his first book is like an awesome cover. I haven't read it yet, but it always pops up in my recommendation list. And uh, so I, I like stuff that when you look at it, you you can see there's kind of a layers to what is this story about. And it kind of ends that mystery of, you know, you want to pick it up and find out. I remember when I was younger, David Eddings, uh, Ruby Knight, you know, that when that book came out, I was walking in a bookstore and that was an immediate like stop, like, what the hell is this? And I ended up <laughs> spending the rest of high school reading, 
you know, a lot of David Eddings just because one cover had a, a scene of this knight fighting some sort of lizard thing and there's a fallen knight on the ground and it just kind of captured me. So I, I think the cover is just extremely important that it looks like the author or the publisher cared enough to get it a really good cover, which means they might have cared enough to make it a really great story. One thing we're, we're noticing a lot recently is uh, we talked a little bit about the pulp, pulpy style I kind of think that's making a comeback, and it's similar to the sword sorcery tales of Fritz Lieber and uh, Robert E. Howard, and the Black Raven series that you've you've written, Seth, is is similar to that in that you're you've written a collection of short stories that I'm assuming they're all independent of each other. They follow the same character, but similar to Fritz Lieber, they all have you know different little adventures. Would you say would you say this pulpy style is making a comeback? And do you think it's tied into Grimdark at all in its uh, evolution, so to speak, of sword and sorcery? It is a very loyal fan base to that style i wouldn't say it's making a comeback as in like everybody should rush out and do it because <laughs> it's it's not a big enough market mm-hmm. um to, to really declare it a market change but the group of people that are really into the the pulpy um styles and the sword and sorcery stuff are really really enthusiastic about it, it it's kind of that, that fun i think i mentioned earlier the adventure of the week sort of thing you know you pick it up you have this kind of short rousing adventure and then um you know that you can read it before bed and the next night you've got a completely new episode and if you if you don't like one you can kind of like skip ahead and it doesn't make any real difference because you know if you if you read one conan story and you're like ah, this ain't doing it for me you pick up the you can just fast forward to the next one and it's like you didn't need to have read the previous one it's a new adventure and you know it's more excitement i think i actually did that one time uh, <laughs> uh i really do like robert e howard's writing but i guess i picked up the wrong story and it just didn't i wasn't i was like okay i don't really get this and then i think i read tower of the elephant Mm -hmm. and i was really like oh wow this is fucking good another thing uh, i wanted to mention is tv and movies and kenny you mentioned tv and movies a lot on social media Uh, that's one thing you you are constantly consuming as far as the pulp feel or or the episodic feel of fiction do you feel that writers are being more influenced by tv and movies and video games these kind of things that can be consumed easily rather than uh something where you have to commit a long time to it It, yeah that's a actually a great question and i i always talk to my girlfriend about that we'll be watching a a series um i'm a big time series fanatic. So you'll mostly see us watching a lot of TV series. Um, I still think authors need to read a lot. I mean, that's, I don't think that'll ever change. It's, it's critical, but, uh, it's, and it's still the most fun way for me to get a story anyway. There's nothing like just sitting there and just falling into a book. But, uh, the big thing about TV series that I think is helpful for authors, uh, is the binging aspect. Like with, uh, Stranger Things, that was, that's my biggest and best example. What a great series to binge on. You can literally see the growth of the characters from one episode to the next. I mean, Gotham's pretty good, too, for that because there are so many. I mean, each season's like 20-something episodes. So binging on series like that, it helps you learn how to present like larger story arcs and figure out where pieces fit. Uh, whereas if you watch week to week like we had to do back in the days of yore... <laughs> <laughs> Um, you don't really connect that stuff as much. And I, I think the first series that I actually binged on was probably, besides Lex, which is a really weird sci-fi, it's a German-made sci-fi uh, uh, series, um, was probably Lost. And that's when things like clicked for me. I started looking at that series and going like, wow, I see how they're putting these elements together. And you know, some parts of that series were kind of silly, but uh, it's a big learning for me. Uh, but yeah. I still think uh, books are, are still crucial for authors, though. One other thing I wanted to mention is that there's kind of this, I don't know what to call it, but I guess series phobia that some people have. Like, they don't want to start a series that is incomplete. Uh, a lot of readers have been burned by writers I won't name that <laughs> didn't get to, that haven't finished or are still working on a series that is stretched out a, a long time. Do you think a lot of readers want to kind of wait until the series is complete? And then if they're really into the first book, then they have the second book waiting. And, oh, fuck, there's a third book. Hell yeah. Then they can get everything in one big binge uh, instead of having to wait 
a long time. Do you think that's a factor at all? Do both of you think that? Well, um, okay. I, I admit for a long time, thanks to the, the David Eddings thing where, you know, I have to wait years, uh, you know, a year between books, which in high school is a significant portion of your life. <laughs> uh, I, I spent a long time avoiding a series till it was done. Yeah. Uh, so when people first originally pitched the wheel of time to me in like the late nineties, it was like, is it done yet? I'm like, no, it's like, well, what if he dies before it's done? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and lo and behold, uh, then they they pulled in Brandon Sanderson to to finish that off. So if a series is a single story that requires many books to tell, yes, I will I will think twice. If it is a series where each book is kind of a standalone, or if the first book's a standalone, like Mistborn or um, Lock Lamora, where you, you could actually read it and be done and just be totally happy. And then if you're like, you know, I think I want to keep going with this. And at that point, it's like, well, be prepare yourself because this is you are now going to need to read the rest of it. I'm a big supporter of that style. But if it's book one of a, a nine part series, <laughs> I'm like, let me wait till that, that ninth book is done because you know, I don't want to invest, you know, years waiting for books. And then when it comes out, I'm like, OK, who the hell are these people again? What are we doing? And so that's that's kind of my preference. Yeah, and you can't really, like, I know when that used to happen before, you could just go back and read the first book, right? But, you know, who has time to do that nowadays? I mean, it's very rare that, uh, I guess there's certain things that I reread to get caught up, but that has to be an author that I really love. (laughs) Right. I don't know how ingrained that is, but I know that I definitely look at that. Like if I'm shopping for a book, I'm like, Seth, it's, hmm, so there's supposed to be nine of these, huh? Yeah. (laughs) And there's only two of them out. Hmm. Maybe I'll hang tight. <laughs> I want to do. I want to do something where I release a series and I and I put on the cover book one of two hundred and seventy three, and just see if like any people are like man fuck you I'm not two hundred seventy three. The thing is, I don't think it really intimidates most people. I mean, you, you look at you know, the the number of sales for Pat Rothfuss or uh, George R. R. Martin. People walk in now knowing that this is going to take a while, and they're still they're still picking up Name of the Wind, Name of the Wind, and they're still picking up these series that they know are not finished, and they know people are waiting on. So I I think a lot of readers don't mind. I do, but most don't seem to. For your Tales of the Black Raven series, Seth, it's actually a collection of short stories with that same character repeated throughout. Did, was that did you just like this character and you wrote a bunch of stories and put a collection together, or was it intentional from the beginning that you were going to write specific short stories uh, for this character and then release the book? Um, wow, it it it, it just kind of sort of happened. I wrote the first story and it was meant to be a standalone with an open ending, and I you know, I of course I thought it was genius. You know, it has this kind of open ending and nobody wanted it, and I swore I would never touch that character again and a few years later my wife and i honeymooned in venice and i came up with a great short story idea and i like i'm going to use the same thief character but it's going to be like years later and he's going to be this like master badass thief and i wrote that story and i'm like well shit i I, i'm committed (laughs) and so then i filled in what happened between those two stories and then i just kind of kept going and my idea was i was going to publish them through different magazines and anthos over a long course of time and then eventually put them together and uh, i sold six of them and then uh, the magazine that was actually running it folded after three and then it just kind of became well we're just gonna do this collection (laughs) and that was actually five years of publishing hell where the collection was done before ragnarok picked it up and published it so it was a it was a long kind of bumbling story of how they, they actually came to be is there plans for more Black Raven tales on the way? Or Yeah, I actually I have a little thing of just different Black Raven ideas mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, I'll, I'll get to this, I'll get to that. Yeah, it's just one of those, like, I have to have that, that moment where I either have to stop what I'm doing to get a Black Raven story out of my head, or I'm done with the, the other projects that are kind of occupying my brain and go, now I can get to it. Because I have several that are really mapped out, but I just need to like pull the trigger. So, And Kenny, you actually have an interesting approach to your forthcoming Galefire series where you're actually going to release the entire trilogy in the same month. Yep, that's correct. Yep, And you're going self-published with this 
Yeah, I wanted to do just something for myself. You know how like Tim Markowitz has the Demon Squad series, and sure, uh, and then he does some traditional stuff. And I love the traditional side of the house. There's so many amazing aspects to that type of publishing. But I wanted to kind of put together something that I could, um, I, I guess, bank on, <laughs> literally, <laughs> um, where I would have control over more aspects. And um, I kind of felt that I had the the people around me to go ahead and do that. You know, Eloise Knapp uh, is a great author in her own right and a great graphic designer. So she's doing the covers while I have Tim doing the editing and the books are in editing right now. So, yeah. And you're going to have all three released planned for November. So when this episode drops, hopefully folks can either check it out on Amazon or it'll be forthcoming soon for folks to uh, to check out. But uh, what's your reasoning behind releasing an entire trilogy at once? Why not wait a few months between titles? Um, well, the, I actually did release the first book last year, and I, I sold some copies. It had a little bit of a rough start. I, I did sell some copies, but then I, I quickly pulled it back because I was already deep into book two and three. I had developed a better writing process, a, a faster writing process, so I was getting way ahead and really enjoying all of that. So I, I pulled the first one back, and I started to look at different marketing aspects and kind of got this crazy idea, which I almost want to punch myself for <laughs> because it's taken me so long. You have to be very patient because I, I haven't been able to talk about this stuff. You know, I'm writing all this stuff. I'm doing covers. You know, a lot of people, you, a lot of times the author can kind of get a, a sense of satisfaction by putting the next cover up. Right. Here's my new cover reveal. But I haven't done any of that. Um, and But I've got three covers done, three books done. And the idea is to sort of um, bundle them up uh, to support like your mailing list and newsletter. And you're trying to get gather your tribe to you, you know, the people who are really interested in reading your stuff. And having the bundle there enables them, well, you kind of put them through a sort of a book funnel, you offer them some free short stories. You basically give them the option to, to buy the bundle at discounts, things like that, things you can't do when you release a book at a time, right? So it's just a win-win for me, and it's a, a win for the readers as well. I'm going to shift to topics a little bit and talk about tabletop games, because we talk about that fucking all the time. On this show. <laughs> Seth, I know you're into games. Kenny, are you also a tabletop gamer? I do Risk and uh, an old game called Titan. I don't know if you guys remember that one. It's like a little tile game. You have weavers and dragons and things. But uh, I found an old version of that at Dragon Con and oh, picked cool. that up a couple of years ago. And I played that with my uncles. <laughs> we get drunk it's and just kill each other. <laughs> I think we kind of started this at R.A. Salvatore. We asked him, uh, what was your favorite campaign setting? And... Of course, I think Forgotten Realms would be one of his favorites, but also to give some sort of holy shit moment that happened during a game, just something that happened that blew everyone away or uh, everyone gave each other high fives afterwards or whatever the case may be. Uh, could you both tell us anything about how uh, games have affected you as, as writers? We could do like a series of podcasts <laughs> over this entire thing. This could be part one of our 200-part series. Of, of 270. 273. Okay. Okay. Well, that's 70 more. That's easy. For me, because uh, I've been playing with some of the same guys uh, now for 16 years. So, And we've tried all sorts of different systems. And we were doing... Uh, Cyberpunk 2020, which is one of my very favorite systems. And uh, the most successful campaigns we've done were ones where the characters actually were kind of broke and poor. And it was very roleplay centric. And we did a, a campaign where they were actually a street gang, a juvie gang. They were all like, I think we started at 12 years old. And we had a neighborhood that had moving gang territories. And then one night, uh, we kind of wrapped the game up early, and then one of the guys said, I've got this great idea. I want to skateboard through the mega mall complex that was in their neighborhood from the sixth floor down to the first. And they did this race, and we thought it would take about an hour. And it was about a four-hour game that just kind of happened, uh, which you know resulted in you know an, ac an accidental killing and all sorts of just complete chaos because the, the players just kind of at the end, like, what would, what would my... I think they were at 13 at the time. What would my kid consider the ultimate street cred awesome thing to do? And uh, it was kind of fun playing characters like kids. And we, we did a bunch of juvenile stuff and had a lot of fun. And you're still, you're still gaming today? 
yes. Um, currently, we're doing a Call of Cthulhu 7th edition is our current poison of choice. So we uh, we still play once a month. So now that we're all we're all older and you know most of us are married and have kids, we still make one weekend a month to get together and just do dick and fart jokes. And you know, <laughs> uh, yeah, my my wife is she's been playing with us for all these years. So we just kind of sit around. It's kind of like the the meeting of the the family, and we just game and play in each other's imaginations for a few hours. Are you usually the DM or? Yeah, yeah, I have, oh. I have my my story writing and control issues, man. I have <laughs> I got to run it. I wish there was a game that had Cthulhu and skateboarding involved in it. <laughs> you somehow somehow make that happen? Yeah, you, know, you actually there's there's enough weird hybrid games out there. You could easily easily pull that off. I'm pretty sure Cthulhu would be pretty pretty rocking on a skateboard, <laughs> you know, spreading madness and despair while doing like. 360 kickflips. <laughs> All right, somebody who's an artist out there, make us that image. <laughs> Fucking Cthulhu uh, doing a 360 triple, whatever the fuck it's called. Well, you know, if there's anyone that can pull that story off, it's Chuck Tingle. You guys know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hugo nominated. No- <laughs> yeah. And what about you, Kenny? Any uh, gaming experiences, um, oh shit moments that you've had in the past? Or um, Well, I. Uh, you know my gaming uh, experience. Yes, it's it's long. Uh, it's it's a it's a tumultuous journey. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, I did D and D in high school, um, and I played. Uh, I think I played with John some Cthulhu. John Foltz, uh, who's another author. He lives out in California. I think he's familiar to you guys. Past guest um, John R. Foltz. Yes. Yep. Uh, yeah, I was a roommate of his in college, and we played a little bit of Cthulhu. But I really started gaming hard, I guess, in my 30s with EverQuest. That was like the online uh, stuff. And I really um, loved it. I had some amazing times, but uh, quickly, quickly buried all my time. And I, after about five years, I kind of looked around and I thought, <laughs> I think it was when um, EverQuest 2 came out. And there was a big hubbub about uh, carrying your character to the next game. You couldn't do it. And here, you know, people had worked for five and six years on these characters and they couldn't bring them across. And, you know, so a lot of people loved EverQuest 2. Some of them went to World of Warcraft. I think that was starting up about then. And there was another couple games. Uh, I can't remember the names of them, but uh, yeah, I just, I was left with a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth. And I, I, I thought if I want to write, I have to, you know, I'm going to have to do something to like bear down sort of. So I kind of, I guess I, I didn't completely stop. I still play like, uh, you know, my uh, Xbox and stuff. I do like, play like Alien and things like that and, and uh, some zombie games, but I've kind of gotten away from the, the time, the time consuming ones. Yeah, I think I have also. Most of the gaming I do is actually old D&D gold box games that uh, are brutally brutally hard and make me want to fucking punch the computer screen. (laughs) uh, Was that the Pools of Radiance that uh, that you were posting? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Those were awesome games. Oh, man. I lost a lot of hours to those, too. (laughs) Those are the original Dark Soul games, I think, as far as brutal difficult difficulty level eye of the beholder i think that was one of them the menzo barons in games yeah those were all that was yeah I, I played a lot of those but i mean i started playing games that's actually how i got into computers because um i'm a linux administrator now but all that started when you know when the first like commercial computers became available the the 10 megahertz <laughs> processing boxes <laughs> it was like one step up from atari and um you know doom was the big game and uh, i had a friend that got me into it and he would come over with like a a box of like 200 discs those little three and a half inch discs and we would because i'm going to copy a game that was our night pizza beer <laughs> copying doom like just one disc after you know insert the next disc <laughs> just copy these games so that i could play them at home and trying to tweak your computer out for you know the right extended memory to play them and stuff it was yeah so i guess i do have kind of a deep <laughs> connection <laughs> one other thing uh that we've mentioned a little bit on the show is audiobooks, and Seth Dameron was a finalist for the APA Audio Awards in 2015. And Hanasia was as well. So oh, okay, cool. We're two for two. So my narrator and I have our fingers crossed on Ibenus to see if we can make it a, a three for. As far as audiobooks go, uh, how important do you think for 
for new authors coming up is getting involved in the audiobook realm because I know most people they do print or they do uh, ebooks, obviously, but not everyone is doing audiobooks. How important do you think getting into that is? I think it is extremely important. Audiobooks are the, is the it's the fastest growing market now. Now that we've got uh, Audible and all the ways we can stream it, they don't have to abridge them on a thousand cassettes or CDs anymore. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, all the talent that they're getting to to narrate them is just getting better and better and better. It's no longer a kind of a, a monotone person that's reading it as a tool for the blind. These are actual actors that are getting in and they're just making wonderful performances. And the market's perfect for it. And there is a large and growing percentage of people that that's the only way they do books now. You know, Goodreads, we, we always kind of consider kind of the standard of how popular a book is. How many Goodreads ratings does it have? I have more ratings on Audible than I have on Goodreads because they don't really merge together. They're like completely separate clans of readers. And uh, anyone that doesn't do an, an audio or an, uh, just an audiobook release is kind of cutting themselves off from a kind of a big and very separate market. And it's pretty easy to get started if you're a published author. I mean, you can set it up with ACX, I believe, to where you pay the person who does it based on their sales. Or how did you get set up with your with your audiobook person? When when I first sold to, to Ragnarok, that was like one of the first questions I had. It's like, hey, are we gonna do audiobooks? And you know, Tim is like, uh, we don't we don't know yet. Like, like <laughs> I, I I don't know. And I'm like, I want to do an audiobook. And they're like, yeah, look, we're we, like I was their first guy off the street sort of person they published, you know, versus like a someone they knew beforehand. And they kind of tried it out, and I just kind of hit a home run with of just sheer luck with mm. my narrator. Uh, R. C. Bray had just done The Martian. Andy Weir. And I was like the next book he did and the Martian exploded. And yep. so people are like, wow, this guy is amazing. Who, what else has he read? And then like, my name is next. And, uh, that kind of gave me my initial push of kind of exposure. And then it, it kind of became a perpetuating thing after that. It, yeah. Like you were saying, I agree, Seth. Um, even, and, and I love, by the way, I love those audiobooks. I'm, I'm going to get, uh, Ibanez here real soon. <laughs> um, <laughs> But uh, R.C. Bray is incredible. But um, even with the Gnome Saga books, they did and are doing pretty well. Um, it's Scott Aiello is the narrator, and that guy's like a Juilliard uh, actor. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it's an incredible, like, he makes me sound great. Uh, <laughs> you know, he's an amazing, so I agree. I think the audiobooks are absolutely necessary, and uh, it's a great way to enjoy a book for sure. Do either of you find yourself tweaking your writing styles at all to account for audiobook production? Yes. In uh, what ways? Well, when when I started uh, Dameron, I had a long commute and then did a lot of data entry. So I had to have kind of headphones and I listened to stories a lot. And that's about the time I kind of rediscovered audiobooks. And I started writing my style based off of how it sounds. You know, because I actually always pictured a narrator speaking my story versus the normal reading style. So with my Valdigan series, I actually always wrote it with the idea that it should be narrated with that. Because I was kind of addicted to a guy, um, who, Frank Muller, who was a wonderful narrator that passed away. And I always kind of pictured Frank's voice saying my words. So I wanted to say things that Frank sounded particularly good when he said. And Kenny Dead West is also narrated on audible can you tell us a little bit about how that came about i think my story is probably similar to seth's um i i had no idea about except that i didn't have any idea about audible and audiobooks and joe and tim said they were you know lining up people to, to kind of do the entire catalog of ragnarok books and of course i was on board and then started working with scott uh, aiello on the gnome saga stuff and then cassandra campbell did the uh dead west stuff which is interesting because it's a horror novel with a, a female protagonist and then you have a, uh, a, a woman reading as well so it, i don't know it, it adds a neat uh unique aspect to the book, I think, and the audio book. So very cool. The Dead West is a collaboration between you and other authors, correct? Yes. Uh, myself, uh, Joe uh, Martin, and Tim Markwitz. Dead West is about, it essentially takes place in the Sierra uh, Nevada uh, landscape back in 1868. So it's a short time after the Civil War when folks were sort of moving west and you know the rail lines were getting hooked up. 
uh, and connected up in Truckee, um, or they call it Coburn Station um, back then. But it's right up in Donner's Pass, you know, where everybody, uh, where that group ate one another, <laughs> hit some cannibalism. Oh. We had a cannibalism incident oh, up yeah. there. So it sort of set the stage um, for where we wanted to set this. And it's about uh, Nina Weaver and her father basically pull up to Coburn Station and then just to get supplies. And then soon after, all hell breaks loose. It's like an undead rampage. <laughs> There's like horses, you know, undead horses running down the street, crashing into things. And it, it quickly becomes chaotic. And they soon learn that uh, there's a, a man behind it named Lao Tzu. And it, it kind of, I guess it harkens back to the, to the um, what's that series, the Kwai Chang Kane? Uh, uh, Kung Fu, the legend. Kung Fu, yeah. Has a little yeah. bit of that uh, kind of tossed in. A um, little bit of uh, Taoism and some Native American mysticism. Because the, the protagonist, Nina, she is half Shoshone Indian and, you know, half Caucasian. So just an interesting take on... Um, on that type of character thrown into that sort of mess of a world. And how was that experience with the collaboration between those other authors uh, creating that series? Uh, it was pretty, pretty easy, actually. Um, it was at the start of Ragnarok. So we really, at the time, Joe and Tim were just sort of putting you know, Ragnarok together. And we, we were just looking for stories to write. Um, Joe and I, had we were, were high school buddies, so we had gotten together back in 2010. I think we were starting to just meet up and talk books and just as a friendly thing. And then it started to develop and, Hey, let's get this gnome saga book out and dust it off and let's see what we can do with it. And um, one day they just came to me and said, Hey, uh, are you up for drafting a horror Western? And I said, sure. (laughs) (laughs) So they basically, uh, you know, they they said, well, we need lots of blood and guts. And I said, okay, I I can do that. I'm a, I'm a horror fan. So, (laughs) And they just basically sent me an outline. I think Tim did the outline. And they said, word monkey, get to work. (laughs) So so I monkeyed that whole thing, um, got the draft done. Um, I think they were surprised by how visceral it was and and how, I mean, I pretty much, it was was interesting because I had just gotten done with some Gnome Saga stuff. And I was sort of plodding through a slower pace. So when they came to me with Dead West, I was like, okay, I can like let loose. Like I can just go crazy on this because it's zombies, it's you know mysticism, it's uh, magic. I can just go crazy with, it. and I did. I just sort of bum rushed the whole thing. Um, I think Joe had to come in at the end and sort of slow it down. <laughs> so he added. Joe came in and tweaked the. Uh, when you hear the uh, the kind of the crazy dialogue, the the really period dialogue, that's Joe. He's coming mm-hmm. in and like layering those nice you know there's words that he put in there that i'm like where did you get that like that is, <laughs> <laughs> i've never heard you know a boot called this before <laughs> and uh he just you know really tweaked it out and that's basically our process so we we have the the draft you know editing and then joe does all the tweaking and i just sort of move on to something else seth have you done any sort of direct collaboration like that before no i uh yeah, once again, man, I got control issues. Uh, <laughs> I've discussed it with people um, years and years and years ago. Uh, I, I kind of started on a project with some authors about it, and then that, of course, fell through. But I've never, never had a successful attempt, and it's kind of hard to talk me into it because it's like, oh, don't, don't change my genius, or you know, <laughs> like that. It's like. <laughs> yeah, school projects when like you had like six people get together and you had that kind of chip on your shoulder. Like I have to at least like hold my own. I don't want to be the the loser that just kind of skates through and gets a grade. So that gives me a complex of like, am I doing everything I can and then don't mess up my stuff? So nah, not 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 for me. I imagine it would be harder. Like we did it in a sort of split task, but if you're, I guess if you're working chapter to chapter with another author, that would be pretty scary. Like <laughs> you do this yeah. chapter, I do this chapter. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. That sounds, sounds horrible. Like those writing <laughs> class exercises where they, you just kind of go back and forth on paragraphs and see what organically comes of it or something. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, so there's no sword Skorkowski collaboration coming up. I could, Maybe like a a gnomish monster <laughs> hunter, <laughs> pumpkin oh. spice. Uh, that'd, be nice. <laughs> that'd be cool. 
<laughs> if there is, it would probably be because Kenny and I meet at a con and have a few drinks. <laughs> I was I was going to say that. <laughs> one thing leads to another, and then, you know, the next day, Kenny, like, calls me up. He's all like, okay, man, I'm, I'm ready to begin that story. I'm like, what? What did I agree to? <laughs> I kind of wanted to do one with, uh, I teased Nick Sharps, just, just to call the, the book the author Sharp Sword. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, just, I don't know what it would be, but... <laughs> Be a field guide to knitting or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're uh, we're almost an hour into this thing. As usual, the podcast train goes off the rails, and we end up talking usually longer than we st- start out to. But uh, I guess we'll come to a conclusion here shortly. Phil, did you want to try this little game? Yeah, I want to try thing. my little game. Let's do a little game. I did a little game. <laughs> oh man, that's scary. <laughs> He's excited about it. Us Kentucky folk don't like games. Uh, <laughs> You're going to love this game. Okay, so this game uh, is it's kind of similar to, just stick with me here, it's similar mm-hmm. to the Newlywed game where you ask a question about what is your fellow author's favorite something, and then we're going to see who gets the most points by being correct about their fellow author. See how much you know about your fellow author. And the winner will receive a one-year supply of pumpkin spice frozen tacos from <laughs> Rob Matheny. You're welcome. So You're welcome. for each of you, I will ask a question and then see if you are anywhere remotely close to the correct answer. And if you are, you will be rewarded points. Okay, so for the first question for Seth, what is Kenny's favorite drink? Bourbon. Correct. That correct. Hello. Correct. Ten points. Yes. Good. Oh, man. <laughs> Ding, 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 ding. I gotta quit talking on social media, man. <laughs> People okay. know too much about me. <laughs> and Kenny, for 10 points, what is Seth's favorite monster? Ah. Uh, pirate? 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, werewolf? Werewolf. Uh, no, I know. Oh. I, I, I actually admit I'm, I'm, a, I'm still a vampire fan. Uh, oh uh, man, that was, uh, I was no points awarded. Yeah. I love the, I love that. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce. I'm just going to say Aswang. Is that how it's pronounced? Aswang. It's a, Aswang. Fili- <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a Filipino monster that eats babies out of the mother's womb with a really, really long tongue. Wow. Yeah. I've, I've known about these for a while, but I've always in my mind, pronounced it ass wang ass wang oh ass yeah wang. the perpetual 12 year old in me uh, <laughs> does that so whenever i picture it's like they're all like there's an ass wang over there and i giggle but no that's not how they pronounce it okay all right seth is ahead 10 to 0 okay next question uh kenny first what is seth's favorite type of character to play in a tabletop game you guys are killing me <laughs> I didn't know Seth like I thought I did. <laughs> Guess not. Um, I will say a wizard. Wizard? Thief. Oh, Thief. oh ah, too bad. See, now you guys are going to drive me out to Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> like cheating. It's, it's okay, Kenny. I'm going to miss all the rest for you. So. <laughs> okay. Okay, the next one for 10 points for Seth is, what is Kenny's favorite way to write or plan a novel, how, how to plan a novel. Um, I believe that Kenny is a plotter and he outlines it first. And yes. then he writes naked. <laughs> oh, I mean, you nailed that so hard. Oh, damn. <laughs> 10 points. Yeah. I'm I actually have fallen. Uh, I used to be a hard outliner. Now I'm sort of just, um, kind of like a few chapters ahead, kind of put beats down. Um, but I used to be definitely a, a hard, more hardcore about it. Okay. And then this one's for 20 points, so Kenny, you can tie up the game. What is Seth's favorite drink? <laughs> i do that one again. Oh, I, would, I would just say like a beer or ale. It's the White Russian. Oh, Russian. Oh, I, I, I never became a, a beer person. Like, you know, when you're a kid and you sneak your dad's beer, you know, to try it out. My dad loved the cheapest beer in the world, so I've never developed a beer taste. Like, uh, I went yeah. for the liquor cabinet. <laughs> you're, you're, the, you're the dude. Yeah, that and, that and Crown and Cokes are kind of my poison of choice. Okay, yeah. I okay. feel closer to Seth now, if anything. There you go. <laughs> yeah. 
So Seth is our official winner, unless you want to do the lightning round and you could get more points. Fuck yes. <laughs> All right. You had me at lightning. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So these are 10 points each. And very quickly, both of you just shout out the answer. All right. So Rob's favorite animal. Puma. Tiger. <laughs> <sighs> Unicorn. Sorry. Oh. Oh. Are you Scottish? Yeah, <laughs> I known okay. That Phil's favorite curse word. Fuck. <laughs> Fuck. Yes. You both get <laughs> 10 points. <laughs> Rob's current obsession. Pumpkin spice. Pumpkin spice. <laughs> yep. There you go. Ooh. 10 points for each. It's other. not an obsession. Yes. That's a way of life. Yeah. <laughs> talking about. <laughs> I didn't pick the pumpkin spice. The pumpkin spice chose me. <laughs> Next one. Phil's thing that he hates the most. Reality. Oh, I'm sorry. It was for. Um, <laughs> oh. Musicals. <laughs> Hill people. Oh. <laughs> no, it's actually smartphones. Okay, so <laughs> with 40 points, Seth is our first winner. Uh, Author Thunderdome. Yeah. I, like, I like Thunderdome like we're competing. We're like Master Blaster. Kenny riding around on my shoulders. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, awesome. Well, this uh, author duo mashup Thunderdome is coming to a conclusion, but we always like to give out um, some contact information before we wrap the podcast up. So we'll start with, with Kenny. For folks who want to follow you online, where can they check you out? I think the best place to go uh, is just to my mailing list that I'm starting and, and, and working with. It's kennysword.com slash GF subscribe. And are you active on Facebook or Twitter? Or? Yeah, yeah, I'm out on Facebook and Twitter as well. I'm not so active on Twitter, but Facebook is kind of where I live, I guess. And any con appearances coming up in the next foreseeable future for you, Kenny? Um, not not right away. Probably um, late 2017. I usually do Dragon Con, uh, so that'll definitely be on the list. And I, I also attend some of the horror cons, in, um, Cincinnati Horror Hound, and um, that's in the spring. And then they have a Horror Hound in Indianapolis in the fall. Excellent, excellent. And Seth Skorkowski, where can folks track you down online? Uh, well, there's, uh, there's always Facebook, and uh, I, I try to become more active on Twitter, uh, so I'm trying to nurse that one. Uh, then, of course, uh, you know my website, Skorkowski.com, or that sort of normal avenue. But um, you know, I'm pretty easy. Just Facebook me. And any cons appearances for you at all coming up in the foreseeable future? Um, I, I have actually feelers out to several. I just finished my last con last week, so I don't have any confirmed guest ones right now, but I try to do, uh, all the, a lot of the Dallas ones, FinCon, AllCon, DFWCon. So that was my perk last year and I'm hoping to make it this next year. Very cool. And so Seth, you're working on uh, book four of the Valducon series. Yes. Book four Redemptor. And then folks can go over to Amazon to check out both of your collective works. And then, Kenny, what are you working on? What's your WIP, bro? Uh, Galefire 4. So as the edits are happening on the first three, I'm just moving on to the next. Very cool. Very cool. Well, thanks to both of you for taking the time out of your Saturday mornings to uh, join us here on the Grim Tidings podcast. So always excellent to uh, touch base with folks that we've been friends with for a long time on social media and finally get you on and introduce you to the world and the awesomeness that is Seth Skorkowski and Kenny Sword. So thanks to both of you for uh, joining us in the Author Thunderdome today. It's been awesome. Thank you. Thank you very yep. much. Thanks for having us. It was great. You can find us online at facebook.com slash the Grim Tidings Podcast or on Twitter at Grim Dark Fiction. Download the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean. And if you like this show, please share it and leave a review. Be sure to drop by our Facebook group, Grim Dark Fiction Readers and Writers, for daily updates on all things Grimdark. On behalf of co-host Philip Overby and myself, Rob Matheny, thanks for listening to this episode of the Grim Tidings Podcast. We'll see you next time.